Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. Side stories. That's when the cannibalism started. Side Side stories. stories. Yes. We survived Atlantic City. (laughs) Barely, man. Barely we survived Atlantic City. We survived. Holy shit, dude. We were on our Gallagher 2 tour, which involved three shows and two casinos, and I think it's safe to say, this is my little joke. Remember my little joke, Henry? Yes. I'm a gambler with a comedy problem. That's very scary. (laughs) It's very scary. Once you have mug-like catchphrases... For your gambling addiction, that's when it gets scary because you're normalizing it. You're shifting it to the center. Uh, but no, I'll say you. All right, you were. I'm going to say gambling irresponsibly no. in Atlantic City, and oh, as yes. a direct witness of it, you were uh, trying to show Marcus and I the ropes, which was a funny sighting in the first place because it was just a huge father with his two ghoul-like <laughs> children walking through the casino. Kissels just been, let's go. Let's go. We gotta go. We gotta get. We gotta. We gotta hit the tables. I'm gonna show you. Blackout 17. Blackout 17. It's that easy. And he's yelling. And meanwhile, Marcus and I are like, we want to go to the ice cream store. <laughs> Daddy, you said we were gonna go to the roller coasters three hours ago. Daddy, Daddy, I want a hot dog. I. But Henry, we can't. Before we start the show, full disclosure: in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, that roulette. I had a iconic roulette run. I had eleven <laughs> numbers on the board. I had stacks of chips in front of me. I, I, you know, it's funny because of all our, all our fans are just big dudes, so it's just a bunch of big guys being like, "All right, let's see what you got, man." I mean, you know, we're not we're not Leonardo DiCaprio. We weren't surrounded by supermodels. I like my beefy boys, and they were very encouraging. You had quite a collection. <laughs> Of here suit young men staring at you like you were Bobby Bonilla in his prime. They were so entranced by your game playing. Because I'll say this, right? So Atlantic City, yes, irresponsibly done. Yeah. We all got very, very drunk. Yeah. I know I lost $300 immediately. Right. And, but though I will say, Kissel, somewhere in a haze, you walked over to another casino. We we left one location to go to a second location, which you're never supposed to I do. know, I know. We went to, we went to another place. You were literally, and you were trying to explain it to me. You were like, hey, listen, I'll show you the whole map. The whole map is easy as pirates, which is you got to game it. You got to be smarter than the ball. <laughs> Your you impression of me is a little bit more, it's more stroke victim than hammered, but I'll take it. You don't know what it gets to. when It's just, it's not about just us sitting at the bar. It's you, you become a different type of person in front of the casino. It's like your eyes turn into little dice <laughs> and you become somebody else. But I did watch you go click, 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 and just put money 
all over a roulette table, and you're just like uh, staring at it. Fucking won five hundred dollars. There it was. Okay, but then you lost it all. Yes, of course, you lost it all. But in Bethlehem, the the that that run you were on. Woo. Was scary. It was because awesome. you're like, I'm calling the numbers. I look at you for an hour. I couldn't find you. All of a sudden, you get over there, and the way you're talking, you have you're holding court with all these sandwich boys <laughs> and trying to explain <laughs> to them how, like, you say, yeah, you just do this, you should do well, this, and they don't have the money that you're wasting. We no, just left getting paid. We went right. from a paid gig. You just went bleep 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 with your big old feet over to <laughs> a roulette table. These are people that are there. On vacation, no, they and they're were, not. They didn't just get paid. They have already been spending money and, and watching you lead a bad example. I, no, I was I was fairly conservative. I did not waste too much money, everyone, because I we respect your money when it comes to Patreon. But I will say this: what what is the what's the secret? Before this is not a gambling podcast, but what's the secret? I stick with black odds, and I'll occasionally do a zero or a double zero. But I have my structure, and the game comes to me. You don't want to chase. You want the game to come to you. That's how you do it. All right, everyone. This is Side Stories. I am Ben. That's Henry. Um, thank you. But uh, in all seriousness, thank you all so much for coming out to the shows at AC in Bethlehem. So much fun. And in Port Chester. And I will say, it was fun getting a chance to hang out with a bunch of the fans, too, on the casino floor. Oh, yeah. It was a funny set of circumstances to be there because I'm not a real gambler, so no. we don't take it seriously. And in AC, Kissel was getting a little mad because we don't take it seriously, which is still very funny. It still <laughs> does work. No, that's the problem with being comedian. If like if I am getting aggravated, you're like Ben's getting mad. This is really fun, and it's like it's not yes. fun. We're trying to focus. driving it up. We're trying to focus. Driving it up. There was one guy that we were playing with in uh, in Bethlehem who had a hundred dollar chip, and he's like putting it on black. My girlfriend says if I lose it, she's gonna leave me, and then just hit red. And I was like, okay. You just have to. You're single. Now you have to Congrats. go. <laughs> but anyway, Henry, you know what today is. What? It's not just any old day. Today is the 30th anniversary of Kyle and Lyle, the Menendez brothers, killing their parents. Wow, good for them. Isn't that crazy? Do you and, think oh, I'm they sorry, still Kyle, have problems? Uh, I'm sorry, Lyle and Eric. Kyle and Lyle just sounded better. Lyle and Eric. Now, do you think that they, uh, do you think they celebrate Mother's and Father's Day in jail? I don't do know. Do you think that they, they go like, gotcha, mommy, Gotcha, daddy, whenever yeah. it comes up. I bet you that they probably get taunted every Mother's and Father's Day, just being like, hey, you guys get a car today? <laughs> oh, you didn't? Because you killed your parents? I get it. Well, you know, they, that they actually just showed you how to be proactive about your problems. Actually, I don't agree with what I just said. No, of I don't not. agree with the, with the statements that Henry Zabrowski made. Very good. See, you're doing so much better. That's why free speech See? jail has been pretty unoccupied lately. I am not... Recuperated though, I'm just waiting in the darkness. Okay, the time will come. The time will come again for me. I will come again. Oh, you'll see. I'm aware. Oh, you'll see. But wait until my seventies. <laughs> wait until you're seven. Wait until ten minutes from now. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to feel old, Henry, Lyle is now 51 years old. And, Whoa. And Eric is 48. They are. Whoa. Like, it's just. There are, but, you know, it's one of those things where there will always be teenagers to me, you know? Me too, man. They're frozen in time. It's like Madonna. <laughs> Madonna will always be that, that – that we were talking about the sex book that Madonna put out. Oh, Madonna my God, Madonna will always yeah. be that era Madonna just burnt into my scrotum. Absolutely. By, by the, the years of, of masturbating. I do love her music, too. I'll still dance to it. Of course. Ray of But I can't do the complicated voguing. I do watch some of that. That That's very, very intense. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a real workout there. It's like yoga. 
Um, so there it is, 30 years ago today. So if you don't know wow. about that case, we actually covered the Menendez brothers case. So you can go back in our archives and uh, and give that a listen. A compelling, interesting story. Um, and they really, I mean, they almost got away with it. But they almost got away with it, quite. but they just love that money. They love showing off that money, and that's how it done go. They were so excited to not, to, they were so excited to be orphans. You know, and there's not a lot of people that are that excited to be orphans. It's right. just Richie Rich and Heathcliff. They're the only ones that are really, really benefited from being orphans. Uh, we can quickly update you on the Jeffrey Epstein mystery that yeah. is unfolding into absolutely nothing so far. Uh, we will just quickly do this because we don't want to do another dedicated episode to the story until something concrete really comes out. Because which I <laughs> I don't know if it ever will. Who knows? Uh, but what we know now is right. Epstein's bones and his neck on his autopsy were viewed to be broken, mm-hmm. which technically means it is. Slightly more statistically likely that he was strangled than uh, suffocated, right. but then the actual official cause of death came out as uh, suffocation, so we, we, who's playing a game here? We don't know. It's just a little bit more likely that he was strangled, but technically, if he also just botched the job of hanging himself, he could have done the same thing. He literally could have jumped off his bed and have hung suspended. We have no fucking clue. Yeah, perhaps we don't know, because that footage hasn't come out. We have no clue. We no. have no proof. And as we predicted, so we have we have that information, and of course that water, that that is being muddied every single day, and I do want to comment, when it comes to a conspiracy theory, those are now being so mainstreamed, and of course, when we get into politics, we'll talk more about this case on Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, Yes, but, check out check out the coverage on Abel against Top Hat as this rolls forward. Yes. Because Kissel's going to do a lot more work on the straight up just what is the information that is coming in and the political ramifications. Because that's where the story is right. kind of headed to, but is watching people spin it for political reasons. Exactly. And so that's something we do have to be careful with because if you once the government starts spinning the conspiracy theories, they're just doing that so they can continue to get away with it. It's much better if the spotlight is off of them and onto much larger notions or concepts like the Illuminati. So they're hiding in plain sight. It's still the same. And when the president and his crew start sounding like Alex Jones, that's on purpose. That is on purpose. They are they are using the storyline for their own benefit, for whatever benefit it is. If it is just political confusion, or their uh, or what has become known was when the president says that somebody else did something, it means that he did it. Right uh, now, uh, Jillian Maxwell. Yes. But I don't want to say anything. I also think that he – I don't think that he had anything necessarily to do with it. I just think that he definitely benefits from it. Oh, yeah. Um, Jelaine Maxwell now, immediately after we put out our our episode, yep. was discovered living uh, – she had lived with a longtime boyfriend for three years in a mansion by, in Manchester-by-the-Sea oh. in Boston. Right? So she had, she actually was there. So they, they did locate her then. So that mystery was over. But then pictures emerged later in the week of Jelaine Maxwell at an In-N-Out Burger (laughs) in Los Angeles. Her, first of all, (laughs) just the idea of seeing Jelaine Maxwell at an In-N-Out is really funny because I don't think that she'd be the type of person to really eat a fast food burger. I don't know if she's ever seen one. I don't know. I think she's like, so these these burgers are pre-prepared. Yes, Jelaine, yes. It's a a big, yeah. What is this? Is it like confit? Is this like duck comfy? No, it is sort of like that, but it's a hamburger. You fucking bitch. I'm going to call the police. <laughs> but is she literally, <laughs> is, she is hiding. She doesn't know what ketchup is, but they're now saying that those pictures 
might have been staged. But Henry, honestly, I'm going to give her, uh, well, I'm not going to give her any credit. I mean, she's, no. the, she's the woman behind, she's the, the, the woman behind getting all the children for Jeffrey Epstein to rape. Um, but she trolled the CIA pretty hardcore in that photo shoot because she was reading a book called The Mysterious Lives and Deaths of CIA Agents, which is just a straight up like, hey, guys, I'm watching you too, and I know how you die. They are straight up playing this like a television show. They really are. She is also doing, she is playing her part, but they believe it was staged by her lawyer. But uh, we don't know if that's true because that came out in the Daily Mail, which was just right. trying to do. They're in a gotcha competition with the New York Post because yes. New York Post put those pictures out. So now we have no clue what's real or what's not real. And congratulations, U.S. government. You did it. You did it again. I will say our prediction was correct on last week's episode, though. Miss Maxwell is certainly now the tip of the spare. And if I am her, I am not happy that Epstein is out of the way because now people want action. They want someone uh, to be prosecuted. Obviously, they're going to go after Epstein's estate. There's going to be some money coming in, as there should be. They should all get everything. They should all be split up, sold, and they should get some cash. But I think Maxwell is uh, currently got to be sweating quite a bit. We also learned just a little bit more about this really weird, you know, what is it, St. James Island, a.k.a. the set from Midsummer. It is what literally the set from Midsummer. It is a beautiful piece of property. Oh, my Honestly, God. Honestly, because we watched some of that drone footage. Woo. If you look at like, I think if people have been talking a little bit about this, is that the, there's a drone footage yes. uh, channel on YouTube. I forgot what it's called. Let me look this up. Yeah, what is the, what is the exciting name of the drone yeah. channel Epstein on YouTube? Drone. I think it's Rusty Shackleford. Oh no, Rusty Shackleford. That's a char- that's a uh, that's from King of the Hill. That's the dude. From- that's the name of a character, but that's the name of his YouTube channel. Yes, yes, the yes. Guy he has been YouTube- on it for a long time. He's a conspiracy yes. theory page on uh, on YouTube. But this drone footage, man, Henry. So let's talk about this one area because I do think this is interesting. You got the you got that disgusting looking blue white striped box, right? And it's then- his masseuse. Like it's-, it's a little masseuse room. Yes, his little masseuse room. Interestingly enough, my understanding is it only locks from the outside which is horrifying Mm. and it used to have a gold dome on top until the wind blew it off so a lot of people (laughs) were referring to it as a temple or something like that Um, and it is like super creepy it does seem again like one of the housing locations in the movie Midsummer. But we, it, they said there was a bunch of beds in there and things like that. So I'm assuming it's the quarters where everyone would sleep. Uh, perhaps uh, it was where he kept some of his in, uh, victims, um, some of the people that were working the events. We don't know. And then there's this empty field that just looks like it could only be used for mass murder. I have no idea. It's like it's the some kind of mass ever. murder, Bohemian Grove style party. Maybe like you know, I, honestly. So much fun in there. Get some, get toss a football around in there. Sure. Remember those Whistler, like the, you remember those, uh, the Nerf, the, the Nerf like yeah. whistle footballs? That'd be so much fun. You get down there, you got a couple of 15 year olds looking for it whenever you lose it in the woods. That's going to be so much fun. Oh, you and yeah. your buddies hanging out there, like you got a little boat there, beautiful lagoon. You could see. How a man who loves his privacy, uh-huh. <laughs> he would look at this. It's because about location, location, location. What an what an incredible vacation spot. I mean, now yes. I hope finally somebody honest like an Elon Musk mm-hmm. or a Tyler Perry can own this island yes. and really, really flip it. Or somebody Rodney Dangerfield's in it because that's what I'm really hoping for. Right, turn it into a fucking cruise location. 
fucking blast it out. Put your butt all over it. Put a bunch of water it. slides on it. Invite people from Pittsburgh and St. Paul and our people, our people <laughs> to go down there and to flop around all covered in zinc and 90 SPF and just throwing beer cans everywhere. Oh, I think be honestly, yes. We have to reclaim that land in the name of fun and in the name of celebration and party. Yeah, just the idea of former Governor Bill Richardson and Alan Dershowitz tossing the football around. Nothing, <laughs> nothing more athletic than those two clowns. Um, so no, it was just a bunch of people bent over and they were trying to fit the footballs inside of them. It was horrible. I'm sure it was disgusting. And obviously that island, again, needs to be sold, hopefully, to someone who will, uh, who must, who definitely will do something much better uh, than Jeffrey Epstein. So but we will from follow- now on, this story for us is going to be over until we see more. But for further coverage, please go do Abe Lincoln's Top Hat because that's where it's going to be. That, that's where we're going to be. All right, let's move on to some, man, this week, I don't know what happened, but it's another week full of madness and mayhem in the world. What do it's we almost s- like it never stops. I want to do this first story. I want to do the story about this Edmonton man. Okay, let's do that. All right, so this is a story about an Edmonton man. Uh, admits to gruesome killing, says he's not criminally responsible. This is reported by the Global News okay. uh, by Fletcher Kent. Silva Kushwal has admitted to stabbing his ex-girlfriend 101 times, oh. mutilating her body. Now a judge must decide whether he was criminally responsible. The Edmonton man was convicted Monday of the second-degree murder of 38-year-old Nadine Scow on August 24th, 2015, Jeez. and an offering an indignity to her body. The agreed statement of facts read at Koshwal's trial Monday said the pair had dated for three years but were no longer together. Early one morning, Kushwal came to Scow's building and walked into her suite. He stabbed her to death, leaving a scene that senior homicide investigator Bill Clark described at the time as one of the most horrific of its long career. All Kushwal right. kept stabbing her, even after she died, using multiple knives from her kitchen. Now, you were saying several tenants in the building at 104th Street and 106th Avenue heard a woman screaming. One said that she yelled, he's going to kill me, help me, he's going to kill me, and she did it three times. And he didn't call the police? All Nobody right. called so that's, police. That's the thing about this story, and Henry's going to get into the gruesome crime scene here in a second because it is indeed gruesome. But this is also a story, and I'm not blaming the tenants here, but you have to have a little bit of just like, we live in a community, and um, if you hear your neighbor say, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me three times, maybe just pick up the phone, doot, 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 call 911, just in case. Always better safe than sorry. He's popping into the Citizen app. The Citizen you, app, sure. If you get the Citizen app, you could just pop it in there and just blast it out, and you can do it totally anonymously if you have to. Sure. So it seems as if the neighbors didn't do this woman any favors. Uh, the man was sort of known around the area as being a little bit aloof, a little crazy. He said that he had PTSD uh, well, he from said his it came childhood. From- Yes, it came from his past in South Sudan as a boy where he saw a lot of violence yes. and a lot of – he saw a lot of fucked up shit. Psychologist Leslie Block examined Kushwal at the request of the defense. He determined Kushwal's mental conditions have rendered him incapable of appreciating his actions. Mm-hmm. He shows signs of paranoia and delusions. Now, now she's saying he's no longer connected with reality. Yes, 
Now, what we cross, because they said he's coming across in a deadened state. He said, this is a man who cannot sleep at night. He cannot sleep at night because he still sees the militia coming around his home and taking people. And he can hear the screams still. And he sees the next morning the destruction brought on by these militia and how the carnage has been ever present. Right. Very, very intense. Right. Because he's saying, they're saying, and according to Block, that he says that the militias came and killed his girlfriend. Right. Right. So. I don't know about all that. Well, very, I mean, very they, intense. They he def- obviously is suffering from something. He's suffering from PTSD. Yes, he does have PTSD, and obviously growing up in South Sudan will give somebody PTSD, and that, of course, does not uh, allow you or give you the uh, credence to go out and stab someone 100-plus times and leave the crime scene the way that he did. So the question is, this happened in 2015, why has it taken so long to get this man to trial? And, of course, that is because we are wondering about his mental incompetence. And one of the reasons people say, ah, maybe he's a little on the crazy side is because of the crime scene he left behind. And Henry, I know you have the details on that. And now this is from the Edmonton Journal. Okay. In an agreed statement of facts read into the record by Crown Prosecutor Lori Trahan, court heard Scow's heart, ovaries, and uterus were removed, Uh. and her genitals were mutilated. Her heart was found pinned to a wall with a knife oh. beneath a letter A written in her blood. Oh, my God. This shit, this shit is fucking for real. He trashed her entire apartment with her blood. It is very, very intense. Any idea what the A stood for? Is that? Is there any, like, I have no idea. Was he attempting to, what message? I'm just hoping that it's not a, I really hope this is not some hidden promotion for Adult Swim. or <laughs> Like something like that. I you mean, that's why. Viral- yeah, that's where I'd be really, really sad. Or that new Brad Pitt movie, uh-huh. Astronaut, where he's the astronaut. What is this one? It's uh, it's called uh, Ad Astra. It could be for yeah, that, may- which well- I think is a little controversial. I know it's hard to get eyeballs these days because you got to cut through the noise. Right, right. But well- this is a lot. I would hope, I wish it was a marketing uh, ploy so this woman was still alive. So he really had a, um, what do you think, you know, because we, we have a mild expertise in crazy ass people. This sounds a little, it sounds a little Richard Chasey to me. Uh, yes. What does it mean when you go after, what do you think, it's so personal to go after the internal organs, specifically the, uh, the ovaries. And then he also, um, her genitals were mutilated. So this is something that this man, there's a reason he targeted this part of this woman's body, wouldn't you think? Well, he wanted, obviously, he felt a great deal of rage. Whether or not he knew what he was doing, I don't know. Uh, when it comes to Richard Chase, Richard Chase is the basically the tale of very intense... Uh, very intense mental illness run amok. Yeah. Like he can't, and with no treatment and no, what's, no, no help whatsoever and a complete and total loss of communication with reality right Right. when it comes to something like this type of murder is that he wanted to desecrate the body it's more just about did he understand his actions were wrong at the time did he know what he was doing was because the amount of time spent doing the action because it's about rage right right and after you're stabbing a body multiple times then you start to wonder is this person mentally ill and, and not in control of his actions or mm-hmm. is he doing it to say that he's crazy? Right. And that, does that make you then extra crazy? Like, if you can say, like, mm-hmm. can you, like, I did it so people would think I'm nuts, and then I would get off on people saying I'm too crazy to, 
to commit to crime right. or I'm not mentally fit for trial. But then people would then what if it's that then shows you are not mentally fit to do anything. Absolutely. Uh, but a, also, it's about the behavior around the murder as well. A neighbor told investigators the pair had issues. He'd encountered Kajwal trying to enter Scow's apartment the day before her death. Mm. He'd been seen yelling at her apartment and mashing on all the building's buzzers. And around 12 a.m. on August 24th, another of Scow's neighbors heard thumping coming from her apartment. Mm. Uh, Kajwal had been spotted on transit cameras walking from his apartment towards Scow's around that time. Around midnight or 1 a.m., Scow's neighbor across the hall awoke to a strange man standing by mm. her bed. The man ran out when she attacked him with an umbrella, penguin style, but the neighbor did not call police, nor did she call police when she heard a scream from Scow's apartment, nor when she put her ear to the door of Scow's suite and heard moaning. I think the police would have liked to know what was going on in that case. So I we think will so. we'll, we'll try to keep you updated. The judge has not yet ruled on the competency of this man. Uh, it's possible that he goes to the loony bin forever or a psychiatric ward. I don't want to be disrespectful. Um, a psych, psych place, a uh, mental hospital, or it's possible that the judge says, hey, you know what? This was obviously premeditated. It was so vile. It was so brutal. You have to stand trial for the murder of this woman and face incarceration. So either way, he is off the streets, which is good. Good. Obviously, yeah, this man is extremely, extremely dangerous. He's very dangerous, but that's very, very intense. You just got to be careful. And again, you just never let him back in. No, absolutely. So this <laughs> Especially when they start screaming. When you're... Because I understand. I know when I'm in a highly agitated state, when yeah. I find myself screaming at a structure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when I'm outside of a building and yelling at it, <laughs> that's when it's time for like, but now luckily, I, you know, Natalie is there to scoop me up. Hopefully right. there's somebody, maybe there's a fan that sees me. If you ever see me screaming at a building outside, just be like, hey man, doing all right? You know what I mean? Like give and give a little check yeah, in, and then you free. know, even I, I'll go into a, I'll go to one of those places for mental exhaustion. Yeah, like you know Mal- I mean? Malibu while. passages yeah. of Malibu. You'll you'll fit right in there with all the celebrities. Um, all right, well, moving on to a sad story, but technically a much less disgusting story. It doesn't involve murder. This is unfortunate. This is about a competitive eating competition, and my heart goes out to this man. A com- a man dies after competing in an amateur taco eating cont- uh, contest during a Grizzlies game. Dude, this is I, very I, I sad. Say, but this is what we talked about. This is where how I was I'm scared. Die. We were supposed to do our own self styled taco eating contest, and I almost died. I know. In the process. You did almost die because your throat It is a very up. difficult, it is a dangerous food. That's so, a very dangerous food to eat quickly. You need to do it with, in a relaxed atmosphere. Sure. With some guitars playing, a couple of beards in you, getting the throat relaxed. Yeah, so this is really sad. So just be careful, but he was, he did go out. Technically, a winner. His name was Dana Andrew <laughs> Hutchinson. He loved sports and he loved having fun. He said that he had not eaten all day. He was ready to do it, uh, ready to go in there and win. He was actually speaking with people, and uh, he told one man his name was Eric Schmidt. This is according to Eric Schmidt. He said he said he was going to enter a taco eating contest and has not been eating all day to make himself the winner. Mister Schmidt goes Hell on yeah. to say, when watching the event, it was on a jumbotron. He says he was. Winning. I mean, he was hungry. You could tell. My son and I were standing there like, oh, there's the guy. And he was winning because he was starving. But then, unfortunately, he took off. Uh, he took one more bite. 
he began to choke and the so they they cut the Titan Tron, they cut they cut the Jumbotron footage. He collapsed. EMTs went up to try to help him, but unfortunately he died at the hospital about 30 minutes later and he leaves behind two teenage children. So just be That's very so sad. It is so sad. That's so so be, sad. Be careful in your eating competitions because you know if you're I not pro, you want to win. But also pros are pros for a reason. Yeah. Nadia White talks about just what the kind of what it does to her body, the amount of difficulty it has, because also she throws it all right up, too. It all comes out of fucking the back of a fucking... That's difficult on your throat. Really? I mean, it's difficult on yeah. your gullet. I will say this one statement's pretty funny, where he said, from Schmidt, he was winning. I mean, he was hungry. You could tell. My son and I were standing there like, oh, here, there's the guy. And he was winning because he was starving. I know, but apparently... Which is just the... That's... You know what? That's a fucking, that's a lesson for life. That if is. If you want to win, you got to be hungry for that win. You do, you do, but you also got to be careful. Apparently the rest of the weekend's taco truck throwdown events did go on, but they did indeed <laughs> cancel um, some of the competitive eating events. So there you go. I don't know what, if, I'm not sure if these were hard or soft tacos. I'm going to assume they were hard tacos, and I would just say go with the soft taco route. I think you're much less likely to choke. But you got to be careful. Anyway, that's just a little story there. Uh, that's a that's a story of warning, a story of woe, but also a story of winning. He did go out on top, so you are you're a good man, and it's unfortunate what happened to you. It just hit yeah, me. This story, this story just hit me close to home because I'm currently four and zero in competitive eating competitions: White Castle burgers, um, spicy chicken wings, uh, mm-hmm. obviously the tacos, and some mm-hmm. others, and some others along the way. So, you know, this is just... It's how you're going to go. This is very possible. But you know what, But that's man? what you pick it really... You have to really pick it very carefully, which food you want to go in and what level. Because yes. I think if you're going to die during a taco... If you're going to die during an eating competition, guess all. The only way, proper way to do it. July 4th, Coney Island. Ooh. Hot dog eating competition. So you go down as a true American. Yes. That's the only way to properly schedule your death. I love it. Or if we could get on Sean Evans' hot ones, uh, we I was tweeting about this. We, I we don't could, know if we're famous enough to get on it anymore. I, don't I think, think that we, we used to be, but but now we used to be at the level where it was appropriate. But I don't know if we can get on. But I'm fucking ready. Yeah, bro. So if you know Sean, hit him up for us because I'll I'll do that. I'll do that in a gosh darn minute. I would love to check that out and uh, if Stone, and see if I can't beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was a total beast on that. Um, okay, everyone, that's just a little competitive eating story. The Steve Austin episode was really good. Oh, yeah, dude. Stone Cold is the best. Live from your grave. All right, cool. So this story is about a South Indiana man. Evidently, okay, his name is Joseph Uberhansley. He's 38. He was charged with murder burglary, abuse of a corpse, and rape in 2014 after 46-year-old Tammy Joe Blanton was found dead. What makes this case even more brutal uh, is that evidently he ate parts of her brain and parts of her body. So this mm. man truly is a cannibal. So, of course, the question is, kind of sticking with our story previously, is this man competent enough to stand trial? Evaluation- I mean, again, was he hungry? Was it one of those where it's just like maybe he was just so wrapped up in how hungry he was have, after this murdering? Is a, this is like a Snickers commercial. Is that you're not you when you're hungry? Is that what you're saying? This is like yes. a, this is like a hangry ad. Yeah, this is where you have what's his butts, Dicka. 
Yeah, Mike Ditka in this? Yes. So his lawyers say he's got debilitating and very serious mental health issues. He's got, uh, you know, he's, his, his behavior is extremely strange. Again, we'll see. He'd been convicted uh, and spent 12 years in a Utah state prison after killing the mother of his child. So this is not the first time that he has committed extremely violent acts. So this is bizarre that he was even out about that story. So, But this story, this murder, took place on September 11th, 2014, around 3 o'clock in the morning. Blanton called police to report that Oberhansley was trying to break into her home. Police arrived. He agreed to leave. Officers left her home when she didn't arrive at work the next morning. Co-workers called the cops. Uh, they found uh, they they said they found a knife in his pocket and it was covered in his ex-girlfriend's hair and blood. When the cops finally got this guy and tracked him down, uh, he stabbed her in the head, neck and body. Then he cut her open with an electric saw and removed part of her brain and ate it raw, then cooked and ate another section. He cut out her heart and ate that, too along with a part of a lung. So, ugh, that you know is another it, uh, one of those hyper-personal, weird, seems like maybe a schizophrenic break or something. It's either a break. You know what it always gets me is when the planning gets that intense. Where it's right. Like, I don't know whether that's ever, like, that's always a question. Please, if you are either, you work for, for a psychological forensics, you work, like, with people that have done this type of gruesome murder, please email us at sidestorieslpotl yeah. at gmail.com to help with this, this conversation. Ugh. Because I really want to know if if an intricate destruction of a body something like this that takes time and right. takes effort where you have to go and get tools and you have to think mm. about how you're doing it does that make you more mentally ill or less mentally ill legally right. like, does that make you no- more cognizant of what it is that you do that you're doing mm. right where you sit and you think about it or is something that protracted a uh, does that mean that you sat and you've been like thinking about it for a while, yeah. or is it also like I don't really know, or is it half? If it's fucking half of one, half another, one of those fucking like gray areas where right. we really don't understand the human mind. It does seem premeditated, of course, showing up there a little early, bit, and then again with this very. Uh, I guess he wanted her to be a part of him or I mean, we can't do a deep dive into the psychology of this person. We're not psychologists, but my God, there was something very personal there. They, that's what they talk about with cannibals, though, right? The cannibals, yeah. really, it's all about incorporating the victim into you permanently. Right. Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer openly said that that's why he did it, but that he was also the loneliest of the lonely serial killers, right? Like, he yeah. is definitely the, the heartbreaker serial so killer, it, so I don't really know. It sounds sort of like a mixture, then, of a process or product, right? The process killer, someone who loves the process of killing, product killer who just someone who wants the corpse, so someone who is maybe a necrophiliac, they, it's not necessary. It's not not. They don't necessarily want to murder, but they want the product. And so, in this case, it seems as if it's a little bit of both, uh, because it seems as if obviously he had the intention of cannibalism, but then uh, he seemed to relish in the moments of this woman's Absolutely. demise. Absolutely, uh, because that's it's all the afterwards, right? It's right. all of that like playing with the body. It's having then control. Right, over a right. product, yeah. right, where it is now, it is my plaything, it is my toy. This is very, very scary. Yeah. And you got to be careful who you date out there. Be careful and listen. If you're friends with someone or like coworkers, 
Listen, when they're like, this person's really dangerous, whether it be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, there's a lot of kooky people out there, so just be careful. I really Uh, want to put him in the category of kooky people. Yeah. Because he really is just, (laughs) he's he's a really kooky, quirky guy. Yeah, you know, Um, like, uh, like, yeah, like, um, what was the name of Woody Allen's love in all of his movies? The woman that always was in every one of his movies, his love interest. Oh, uh, Diane Keaton? Yes, a real Diane Keaton. Like a real like, Diane yeah, Keaton. Like wearing a suit. And it's like, ooh, that's kooky. That's fun. Uh, I actually want to cover this story really quick. Not the blob story. It's all right. this story. Let me cover this story. It's from the Daily Mail. So it's a rag, but it's fun. Okay. Police find mummified human remains in a closet in a shrine to an unknown deity at the home of a New Jersey man who is accused of sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl. New Jersey police discovered mummified human remains and an altar to an unknown deity in the home of a man who has been accused of sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl. Robert Frank Williams, 53, of Newark, was arrested on Friday following reports that he abused the child over several months. The Essex County Prosecutor's Office said the abuse began in 2018. But now they have not confirmed the identity of the remains, and it's unclear if the remains are from an adult or a child. It was a mummified human in a bin in his closet, literally oh in a storage gosh. bin. Um, it showed pictures from his Facebook page. I love the fact that we're in an age, too, where, like, can you imagine just, like, having followed Jeffrey Dahmer when he was right. before he, the crimes are out? Like, what it would see his daily life, what it was like yes, uh, and- on fucking social media. And in this Daily Mail article, and you can find it, uh, the headline is, uh, Please Find Mummified Human Remains in a Closet and a Shrine. And then you guys can go from there. I'm sure that'll come up. Um, But you can see the pictures of this shrine, and it it really is extremely interesting. It's very intricate. This guy also would put captions on all the pictures. So this is uh, a caption that he had uh, on one of the photos uh, that showed a bunch of dirt stuffed inside stuffed inside two sandwich bags. I hear uh, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah, I'll read, read this. It. This is this is his quote on social media. I collect dirts from men's and women's tombs, Catholic and Jewish cemeteries, as well as all required dirts to build pots. If you need specific dirts, then I can collect any amount needed. <laughs> and it's all very strangely spaced out, strangely spelled. The it's got a it's a pretty much a general the general fucking, I'd say an altar. I mean, it seems pretty cool. He has several pictures of him with a crown on. There's another picture of him in full top hat with what it could only be described as Voodoo-like yeah. uh, accessories. A lot of skulls, a lot of beads, a red cape. Ugh. There's obviously some specific thing that he is he is working towards. Yes. Another photo just shows a bunch of tombstones and the shapes of crosses. And he says... These are some tombstones I acquired and also for sale. And then he had a giant pentagram with candles. But this is like very, this is very perfunctory. This is not even a pentagram. It's a Jewish star. This this reminds me a little bit of us covering uh, the early life of Joseph Smith, of course, in our Mormonism series. And thanks so much for such a wonderful uh, response. Everyone's been so sweet about that series because, um, which I know meant a lot, because this is one of those deep dive, uh, mind breaking uh, series that uh, that we've embarked on. So the uh, encouragement is wonderful. But Joseph Smith doing the grave robbing, it seems, is he just like trying to sell this on Etsy? It, does he well, think that you can just go steal stuff from graves and be like? And I flip it. See, what I do is I go to the graves and I flip it and I flip it. People do it all the time (laughs) still. The, the, The fucking, the ghoul market. Is is open and it is it is flourishing, especially because of people like us. Because we are like that, we collect these odd bits. So people like him, technically, he's a businessman up until molesting. Once you do the molest, then you shift from businessman oh, to 
I guess technically if you have a billion dollars, you become um, like more important. I but don't in, know. If you have less than a billion dollars, you become a criminal. Absolutely. But yeah, he this is man like, obviously and then obviously has... the human remains, but he could have just dug it up from a fucking grave. I get honestly, he very much could have. Um, this man, uh, a dangerous man who is uh, without a doubt a risk uh, to society, probably needs to be behind bars. Um, so anyway, that's just that little story. You never know who the hell you're living next to. Not to fear, not not to make you scared, but I'm just gonna say, have a barbecue. Just you know, it's, Check it's the summer time. Once a month, be like, it's neighbor barbecue, and if someone <laughs> comes over, you know, dress. So what you working on? Like, yeah. If you say what you working on, the guy's like. I'm beginning an, an entire world of necromancy and power. And I'll show you what. I'll show you some dirts. Even mm. if you need specific dirts, mm. I can get as much of it as it takes. And you're like, hot dog? <laughs> Do you eat meat? I actually don't remember if you eat meat or not. And then noted? Noted. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, cool. So let's do Hero of the Week. Side story. The hero of this week, you know, it's so fun. It's so fun when it's an animal week. Quite frankly, um, I'm not going to say that my feelings were hurt, but I uh, was tagged quite a bit in a photo that went viral from the Iowa State Fair involving a large hog, and the hog's name is Brutus. He weighs about 1,200 pounds, and he was shown chugging a Bud Light Lime at the Iowa State Fair. You were tagged in this fucking picture so many times in a way that I can only... The only way I can describe it is a is a victory for the Zabrowski <laughs> camp. Another victory. You, the, the lies that you have spread and sowed into society is just unreal. This is how misinformation. Think this is just a joke, but this is in reality how misinformation spreads. I don't drink Bud Light Lime, but now yes, I have he to did say, back in I the day. Not, he I did. did. You did, this. and you bragged about it. I did and I not. Know one day we will find that audio, no, and it will be. Know. It will be presented. I do not think so. But anyway, I know for a fact, I watched you do it. I know you are a liar. <laughs> He is 1,200 pounds. He slammed that Bud Light Lime down, and he was super cute while doing it. Uh, So good job, Brutus. I'm not sure if he won or if he didn't win. I'm not even really sure how a pig wins or loses a pig competition. I'm not sure who goes to them, but we were in Iowa at the same time, and now I really regret not having one more day in Des Moines where we could have just gone and been like, yeah, Brutus. Woo! Go, boy, go! (laughs) It would be fun to buy him. It would be fun to buy him, and then all of a sudden you just have him around, and then, I mean, honestly, we would just eat him. Yeah, maybe at some point when he got too old. Although, I do love piggies. I've said it before. I'm not, like, cows, okay. Chickens, okay. But pigs, they're friends with dogs. And if I got a pig, I don't, I mean, I would give up pork if I could. And you know what? I do try. But then I found out it's in everything. I mean, I just like pork. Yeah. So I don't eat it all the time. But you know what's always kind of disappointing? Honestly, a pork chop at a restaurant. 
Honestly, it's always yeah. a little bit disappointing. And it's you know always what? a little underwhelming. You know what else? You know what else I don't like is pork jerky. It's not good for the jerky. Don't like pork jerky. Mm-hmm. But you know what I do like? Oh, cured pork. I'll take any any second of the week. Mm-hmm. I also like the way I make pork chops because I'll sometimes do it my own mom's way. That oh, she is does, that right? You get the country style ribs, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like like it's it is sort of gross. But it works. <laughs> you take a mixture of sweet and sour sauce with a mixture of either like you get some form of the Thai chili sauce, that red chili sauce, right. or sriracha or something that you like. You mix it in with sauerkraut. Whoa! And you put the you mix it all together in with country style ribs, and you bake that for at an hour, it's fucking hour and a half, four twenty. Wow! Right, four twenty five. Woo! Sweet. And salty. Well, there you go. You've learned a lot of things on this uh, on this episode that's going to shorten your life. You learned mm-hmm. how to play roulette, and you learned how to make stick to your rib barbecue, which is inevitably going to kill mom, you. There are certain recipes that my mom just had, and I don't know where it came from, but she did it with, with the uh, duck sauce. Oh, interesting, actually. I've never heard that. Um, all good. right, everyone. It's I has got that tang. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, suppose that's I have a, some. You want to I have some, some listener. Great, let's do it. So number one. Uh, so this comes from Jay. Okay. I've been working backwards through the episodes, and at one point, Henry had talked about the documentary A Dangerous Son. Mm. I worked in a residential treatment facility for a few years working with adolescents with behavioral issues. For the most part, these kids had an imbalance that caused them to have little to no control over their impulses and emotions mm. or lived through a trauma that changed the way they interact with others. But every now and then, you'd come across one that was purely a psychopath. I've seen some wild shit in my seven years at the facility, but one that sticks with me the most was an incident with a kid that I will call Jared. Jared was violent and impulsive. He had no remorse and would attack people with no provocation. He would at times break into fits of laughter that was followed by ramblings of his desire to kill people, set fire to animals, or destroy the world around him. One day, Jared went off on one of his aggressive outbursts and began stabbing himself in the neck and chest with a broken piece of plastic. I spent the remainder of the evening within arm's reach of him, several times having to fend off an attack or place him into a seclusion room to prevent him from attacking other residents. At one point near the end of my shift, a sudden calm came over him, and he began to describe to me an idea that he had. He wanted to kill a dog, cut off its legs and head. Then he wanted to kill a person and remove their arms, legs, and head, then sew the dog's appendages onto the human's body. That's creative. Uh, kinda, yeah, He's kind of creative. <laughs> okay. After telling me about this, Jared had no more outbursts for the evening, and my shift ended with no further incident. The next afternoon when I arrived for my shift, Jared was no longer at the facility. I was informed that during the morning while outside for recreation, he climbed over the fence and eloped from the facility. I was what? later informed from the police... When he was returned to us that he had made his way to a nearby highway and was hitchhiking. He was picked up by an older woman. Per her report, once Jared got into her car, he did not speak a word to her. He only sat in the passenger seat, turned towards her, and stared at her while laughing to himself without looking away for several miles. Oh, my God. He would not answer any questions that she asked. She eventually pulled into a gas station and said he, she was going to get them some candy and called the police. 
Oh my God, that is horrifying. Thank God that woman is still alive. Oh, I mean, that's scary. It, it, huh? it seems like a human centipede type thing. It seems like, you know, he's creative. I guess if you were Tom Savini and you were putting together a horror film and if we lived in an alternate universe where you could create a man dog like that. I'm stealing um, this idea. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. We can make a horror idea. movie out of it. But OK, well, I'm happy that he is where he is. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. I got this one coming in from H. This is entitled Hail Yourselves, UFO Sighted. They say ever since I saw a UFO when I was a child, uh, I've kept my eyes to the sky. Today, I was driving up to pick up my best friend from the airport, keeping myself alert because of how shitty Norfolk drivers can be. Uh Oh, we got oh, some shade, shade on Norfolk drivers. All of a sudden, I see something that can only be explained as a flying grain of rice moving in a way that a plane or a jet would not move. It was moving at a steady pace at a semi-quick speed and didn't get any bigger as I drove closer. Now, since I'm currently in the U.S. Navy, I've seen and heard plenty of military aircraft and this UFO was not, and there was no noise. I was overwhelmed by the feeling that this is not something that was man-made. Unfortunately, it disappeared over the trees because I could not get any other photo or any photo at all. So what is this, Henry, this sort of flying grain of rice? It sort of reminds me of the... Um, of the, uh, the Tic Tac UFO that was seen over the USS Nimitz, which we also cover yes. one of the videos of the same type of object that we cover on the live show. And uh, uh, what yes. was the name of that large, uh, what looked to be kind of an asteroid that that was going through uh, that was going through Earth? I forget. It's got a very very long name. Um, is it a, uh, a new a Weiwei? Something like, like that. Something like that. Yes. Uh, it, very interesting. I don't know. I feel like there are many types of these types of crafts, and I don't know why. There, there, I actually got another one, another set of videos that have sent if they had these videos. That, I've seen multiple ones. They were interesting, but they might be flares. Oh, okay. But something that's solid. It's all about if it, I'm going to say, if it zigzags, it's weird. Anything yeah. that specifically moves in a way that planes do not move right it's very very important and in a way that flare a flare does not move no uh, do we have um, any more have emails another, i do this one's okay. a little bit thicker but I, I love it because it comes from an actual microbiologist this oh. comes from p okay who we actually met i believe after a kansas city show like several years ago which is very nice i'm so glad that uh she stayed in contact awesome um our military is known to research select agents both for the purpose of infecting populations and for countering such threats to our own population. Typically, biological weapons cause acute, potentially fatal infection with a low dose of microbes that can be transmitted via aerosol. A good example is Coxiella burnetti, right? A causative, a causative agent of Q fever that hmm. can cause infection with less than 10 microbes delivered via aerosol. It can be, debil it can be debilitating, but it's usually not lethal. The U.S. government has invested Investigated the weaponization of coxiella and many other infectious agents as bioweapons. A better example is bacillus anthritis, aka anthrax. Q metal riffs. <laughs> this microbe forms spores that spread quite widely and easily and causes severe acute disease that is debilitating and potentially lethal. It hmm. has been used successfully in recent times in the infamous, the infamous attack on our government in 2001. Lyme disease caused by Borella burgdorferi because it goes back to us talking about weaponized ticks. Right, right, right. right. Does not fit the profile of a typical biological weapon as it causes chronic symptoms that develop very slowly. The early symptoms mostly consist of periodic joint pain and it can progress to more severe systems after 
to more severe symptoms after many years. Thus, in coldly logical terms, it is difficult to identify how B. burgdorferi would be a useful biological weapon. I'm I'm absolutely slaughtering these Latin names. I have no clue. Oh, they're extremely difficult. No clue, no clue. It does hardly anything in the short term, and it's not rapidly or easily transmitted. So I, I was at first skeptical when I heard about these weaponized ticks. However, our government has experimented with many things in the name of defense. Not all of them are good ideas. After a bit of light researching, I found that the newbies' claims that have been made by others, namely Michael Carroll's account of weaponized ticks, mm-hmm. in Lab 257, the disturbing story of the government's secret germ laboratory. It's totally, fe- it's totally feasible, and it seems quite likely that Borrelia was just one of the microbes being evaluated as a biological weapon, and during my training as a microbiologist, we heard lots of stories of stunning missteps and lax practices, and I got to experience one firsthand. Even with all the precautions and safety training, there are still horrific er- accidents. The lab I joined at University University of Chicago had quite a history. One man died of plague, and one student contracted a flesh-eating infection on her face. Jeez. I'd be happy to give more details on the story here if you guys are interested. We are. Absolutely. Like absolutely interesting. Yes. And, but, uh, these stories came back to the 70s, and apparently she said, you know, remember that in the 70s people were still mouth-pipetting urine back then. Tra- using piss, <laughs> using their mouth to p- fucking transfer piss to different tubes. <laughs> So a lot of mistakes were made. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. And I have one last quick one. All I have right. one last quick one. And this is called How Ben Kissel Ruined My Sex Life. Oh, come this on. This comes from R. I've been meaning to email you for a while. A couple months ago, my boyfriend and I were in bed watching TV like we usually do when I get off work, flipping between the travel channel and Adult Swim when things started getting pretty steamy. After a while, we heard the hard way why TV in the background is an awful, terrible idea. I'm on top. My boyfriend's about to finish. Oh, he looks on. me dead in my eye and says, "Not now, Ben." I'm utterly confused, so I turn around and it's Kissel on TV talking about aliens in Area 51 very excitedly. Oh my god. Well, honestly, between your pretty faces going to hell and the talking head alien show, I understand we probably ruined a lot of people's sex lives. Uh, I'm just going to say turn on turn turn it on to HBO where it's all sexy. Come watch Game of Thrones, you know, get in the mood. Listen, uh, you know you got to listen to Sade yes. or Portishead. But yes. Portishead is only if you're going to cut each other while you're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, we try we try to do our best. Sometimes we save lives and sometimes we ruin sex. You know, it happens. Fuck uh, her. I can just hear you going, yeah, shoot it in her, big boy. Yeah, yeah. Why is he talking Black about 17. This? Um, All right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We cannot wait to see our European friends. This tour is going to be so much fun. Can't fucking Uh, wait. I'm like fantasizing. I'm 13 days away from going into a Dublin pub, getting my JMO, getting that Guinness straight out of the heat. Oh, my friend. We're going to have ourselves a couple of beers. Oh, we are going to. Me, my friend. We're going to get our asses kicked. We We know we are going to be very polite. Very. I'm not going to, you know. If we survive Glasgow, I think we can survive Dublin. You just roll with it. Unfortunately, what it means to survive Glasgow and to, to survive these places, you just got to drink yeah. until you start making as much sense as they don't make to us. <laughs> That's you got to get on the same level. All um, right, everyone. Thank so you all love so your much life. for listening. Love, love, love your life. Love your life like you just slipped into a pool full of Guinness. Ooh. And ooh, I tell you, I feel the frothy top. Yeah. Frothy top always get on top of your your tits there. Oh, you gotta live, yeah. live like you're about to get on a plane for seven hours to Europe, and you gotta get a little pillow for your butthole. Yeah, 
Let's, let's your just story. Just make sure you're listening to yourself, and then just laugh about how we're just a bunch of meat, just a bunch of bones inside of it, jangling around. And sometimes you get your penis sucked. Sometimes you get your your vagina pleasured. Mm-hmm, but sure. other times, you got to do it for yourself. And I think that's important all the time to remember. If you're not getting the pleasure you need, you got to go get it so from you're, life. You're requesting people masturbate while laughing vigorously. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Thank you all so much for listening. And never forget to hail yourself. Hail Satan. Magustalations. Hail me. Ooh, very nice. Thank you. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.